Chapter Eight of Neighbours by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Young Harry Schwartz whistled pleasantly to himself as he applied a liquid polish to the body of his automobile, which, under the further urge of his muscular arms, assumed a specious semblance of newness. It was a second-hand car of humble origin, and the young man, contrary to the advice of his prudent parents, had just taken one hundred and twenty-five dollars from his modest savings to pay for it. "'Harry,' said a voice from an open window close at hand, "'is that my new dustcloth you're using? I've been looking for it everywhere.' The young man grinned. "'Shouldn't wonder, Ma,' he confessed. "'Is this it, with doodaddles in pink worked around the edge? Crabbed it from a bag behind the door.' just the thing for polishing. Say, Ma, come on out and view the fliver. She sure is some car. Mrs. Schwartz presently emerged from the back door, an apron over her head. She was a pretty, fair-haired little woman, and her big son gazed down at her with an amused smile. What are you going to do with me, Mamma? Spat my hands, he inquired good-humouredly. I had a sneaking notion I was appropriating something valuable, but I was in a hurry. I got the knock out of the engine, and she runs like a breeze now. You want a ride? Oh, Harry, just look at the grease spots on your new clothes, wailed his mother. Why didn't you put on your overalls? The young man surveyed his stalwart person with smiling unconcern. "'That's nothing,' he said rather grandly. "'Gas'll take it out. "'Run in and get your coat and we'll take a spin. "'I want you to hear her purr.' "'But Mrs. Schwartz shook her head. "'She had a cake in the oven,' she said. "'Besides, there was the week's mending to attend to.' "'She stood for a minute gazing about her, "'a proud light of happiness in her eyes.' In the rear was the garden, already ploughed in anticipation of fresh vegetables and a harvest of gay annuals. Then there was the house, its upper story covered with weathered shingles, its clapboards below freshly painted a light brown trimmed with white. Everything she looked upon was spotlessly neat and all their own. Even the window panes glittered in the bleak sunshine. She had just washed them and the shades were pulled to the precise middle of the sash. Beneath them one caught glimpses of fresh muslin curtains. There was a bay window at the side, with a yellow canary singing shrilly, and a flourishing rubber plant, which had been treated to its weekly bath of milk and water. A narrow concrete walk led around the house to the front, where it joined a wide expanse of the same useful substance, which conducted one neatly to the street. The Schwartz house was almost exactly like four other houses in the immediate neighbourhood. On other streets not far distant were similar structures, all with shingled second storeys, narrow front porches and jutting bay windows. And such is the solidarity of human nature, this very similarity added a fine savour of complacency to Mrs. Schwartz's reflections. Anyone could see theirs was a new house by merely looking at it and there were so many old houses in Innisfield. Indeed, it was only lately that the young Boston architect, with plans which seemed so nearly to fit the average income, 
had come to Innisfield. There was also the Building and Loan Association, a convenient bridge between inchoate ambition and its fulfilment. Harry worked for the Building and Loan, hence the savings and the second-hand car. After all, nothing of what she saw would have mattered much if it were not for Harry. Her fond maternal gaze rested upon her one surviving child as he bent to his task. He was a handsome lad. Other people beside his mother said so, and she was never tired of contemplating his ruddy complexion, his light curling hair, and his frank blue eyes, all of which fittingly crowned a good six feet of muscular well-developed body. As she closed the door of her kitchen upon the pleasant picture of her boy trundling slowly out to the street, his face as shining as the newly polished car, she fondly reviewed her ambitions for Harry's future. He was to go on working and laying up money till he had enough to buy a building lot. She had her eye on one already, not a stone's throw from the family dwelling. On this lot, Harry would, with the aid of the Building and Loan Association, build a house with a shingle-top story, a bay window, a front porch and cement walks. Inside there would be, of course, a reception hall, a parlour with a dining room just the back of it, both rooms closely associated with the kitchen by a butler's pantry. She believed Harry should have hot water heat instead of steam. It sounded more elegant and expensive somehow. But for the rest, his house should be precisely like all the other half-shingled houses, a few of which were distinguished by red or green roofs. It cost more to have a coloured roof, and the brilliant tints of the freshly stained shingles had a provoking tendency to fade to the same dull hue of untreated roofs. But if Harry wanted a red or green roof, he should have one. Mrs. Schwartz took her cake from the oven. It was in three layers and baked to a delicate brown. By the time she had built her three layers into a perfect structure with chocolate frosting, which Harry liked, she had come to the difficult matter of choosing Harry's wife. The little woman wrinkled her forehead and pursed up her lips as she passed the girls of Harry's age in critical review. Not one of them seemed to entirely fill the requirements. It was natural for Harry to want to marry a pretty girl, but having conceded this much to the unthinking masculine nature, Mrs. Schwartz could not help reflecting on the well-known fact that pretty girls, as a rule, are far less fitted to the domestic treadmill than their plainer sisters. They were more apt to be idle, vain, and fond of a good time. It was impossible to think of her son's new house presided over by a woman of that sort. Harry's always been used to having things just so, mused Mrs. Schwartz, as she set her cake to cool, in close proximity to a lemon pie topped by a fabulous meringue, and he never could stand it any other way. As she washed her hands at the sink, she resolved to guard Harry against the machinations of certain young ladies whom she forbore to name to herself, but who nonetheless appeared to threaten peaceful possession of her idol. Harry's a good boy, she told herself proudly. He'll never go against his mother when it comes to getting married. And anyway, there isn't any hurry. Then she took her basket of mending 
and sat down in the bay window to darn stockings complacently aware of the hard-won order and immaculate saturday cleanliness of her small domain and of the two dollars and thirty-nine cents that she had contrived to save from her housekeeping allowance that week unconsciously her small blonde face took on the look of a flower tightly closed against the sun after its one day of blossoming no more the rendezvous of wandering bee or vagrant butterfly but secretly and exclusively occupied with its own concerns in the meantime young harry schwartz had driven his car straight down the main street of innisfield with a fine expansive joy welling up within him and overflowing in smiles on his handsome ruddy face with his cap pushed well back on his crisp hair he grasped the steering wheel with both hands his eyes fixed on the road which appeared to leap forward to meet him that several of his acquaintances stopped to stare after him he guessed rather than saw he'd never driven a car before and it was necessary to give his entire attention to the matter after a while he had been told it would become as easy as riding a bicycle easier indeed he was wondering if he could turn the thing around as the houses slipped away from him on either side in a very few minutes he was clear of the village on the narrow country road which led between farmlands substantially fenced to a crossroads dividing the valley in half he reflected he could easily turn his machine around at the intersection of the two roads it was then that he saw a woman's figure walking slowly toward the sunset she would of course get out of his way when she heard the car approaching to his surprise she did nothing of the sort he reached for his horn which gave forth a feeble honk and then trod savagely on everything in sight things happened swiftly and consecutively after that the car essayed nimbly to leap the stone wall failing in this it turned squarely around and toppled over on its side where it gasped and rattled convulsively its owner rather white and shaken climbed out over the uppermost wheel he wasn't even scratched for which miracle he should have been devoutly grateful instead he was conscious only of an immense and growing indignation with the cause of the disaster he finally succeeded in quieting the sputtering engine after which he turned upon the girl who stood quite still her hands clasped her eyes wide with terror and dismay well said the young man what the dickens why didn't you get out of the way he must have loomed very tall and threatening and for all his youthful good looks a terrifying sort of figure for the girl slowly backed away from him without attempting a reply you must be deaf and dumb he went on still hotly didn't you hear me blow my horn the girl essayed to speak failed and then without a further glance at him turned and walked swiftly away harry schwartz stared after her open-mouthed he was beginning to realize dazedly two things he had first been too shaken and angry to notice the first was that she was extraordinarily and vividly pretty for all her pallor second he'd never seen her before Whew, but she's some sprinter he muttered and forthwith broke into a long stride which brought him abreast of the culprit 
"'What's the idea in running away so fast, Miss?' he propounded. Mendaciously, he added, "'I may need your help, you know.' The girl flashed him a dark glance. "'You are one wood person,' she said calmly. "'You understand me, eh? Sans raison, bête!' "'What's that?' cried the young man. Oh, "'Say, I, I like that!' you like it <laughs> eh bien i not like it absolument but you should have gotten out of the road i honked all right i might have been killed you know the girl made no reply and after a perplexed silence he went on oh, well maybe you didn't know any better i guess you're a stranger some sort of foreigner hey eh? she surveyed him haughtily from under her lashes I promenade myself pour des oeufs frais, what you call eggs. And me, I thank you for not smash. Harry Schwartz stared. Then he threw back his head and laughed wholeheartedly. By George, he exclaimed, I must go back and see what I have to thank you for. But it's strictly up to you to help me set the fliver on her feet, don't you know? The girl listened attentively to this speech, a little puzzled frown puckering her white forehead. Strictly up to you, she repeated. Me, I not know. The colour had come back to lips and cheeks, and she smiled, revealing adorable dimples in the corner of her mouth. He gazed down at her with a growing sense of wonder. Say, where did you come from? he asked. I never saw you before. You sure are one beaut, he added, confident of not being understood. She glanced back at the prostrate automobile, and then at its owner, a tardy sense of compunction dawning in her eyes. I aid you, she propounded sweetly. Oh, I don't know, he said, feeling suddenly ashamed of himself. The fact is, I'm a greenhorn at driving. I should have stopped until you got past the crossroads. I meant to have turned around there. You fix. Moi aussi, she offered confidently. Oui? She had turned squarely about and was hurrying back toward the scene of the disaster. Young Harry Schwartz followed. I suppose she's teetotally on the bum, he murmured disconsolately. First time I had her out, too. The girl bestowed her precious basket under a bush. Voila, we make it she said eagerly. Well, I don't know about that, he doubted. I don't want to muss her up any more than I can help. He gazed ruefully at his treasure. And then he saw that she was valiantly dragging a rail from the fence. Oh, I say, that's too much for you. Oh, I get you. Put a lever under her, eh? Oh, guess you're right. Ten minutes later, the little car stood squarely on its four wheels once more. A trifle scratched, to be sure, its mudguard bent, but on the whole, vindicating the modest claims of its maker. Then Harry Schwartz quite forgot the girl in the all-engrossing business of examining the mechanism under the hood of his machine. When he finally glanced up, she disappeared, and neither vista of the country road afforded so much as a flutter of her blue skirts. Well, I like that, he exclaimed disgustedly. I didn't even find out her name. 
End of chapter 8